Thank you. May be seated this morning. I'll ask you to uh, grab your phone out. If you have your phone real quick, all right, get your phone out real quick this morning. And uh, I want you to open up your calculator. Okay, open up your calculator real quick if you got that. I assume you have that on your phone. So I was actually, hadn't really planned on knowing this and just kind of uh, come up with this. So if it's a terrible idea, uh, I can blame nobody but myself, all right? This is what I came up with. So as we think about... Uh, and this is kind of an introduction for the next uh, few weeks. You know we've been uh, going through the book of Jonah. We'll be talking about taking a risk for the Lord. And sometimes, and maybe most of the time, when, when we choose to embrace the heart of God, there's, there's some risk involved. There's some things that maybe don't make sense. And if you were in Sunday school today, uh, you heard about when the Lord came to Mary and that whole story didn't make sense, did it? And so uh, we're going to next week, though, as we continue through the book of Jonah, we're going to have some special guests with us for the next three weeks. It's going to be our missions emphasis. And so we're just kind of carrying this theme of risk as we introduce you to some, some missionaries. Uh, next week, though, we're going to have three church planters, all right? Three church planters. Uh, one is uh, going to be ch- planting a church, church in North Texas. Uh, one will be in Colorado, and then one in Massachusetts. And so uh, they're going to kind of just give you their story a little bit. I would encourage you, show up next week for Sunday school, all right? Really, the next three weeks, maybe if you're not used to uh, Sunday school, next week would be a good week to jump in at 9.30. You to hear some great stories from church planners and missionaries and then some men in our church uh, who have just uh, got involved in missions. And so, but, but what I, the reason I have your phone out here this morning is because I want you to, uh, maybe some of you don't understand uh, really about uh, how missionaries raise their money and get to where God has called them to go. Most of the missionaries that we support, uh, 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 the biggest percentage of them, um, they are supported by a lot of different churches. Uh, a lot of our missionaries that we support, that we help fund, uh, we give them $100 a month. Okay, so on our line item, budget item every month, there's about 220 mission items that we give out every month. Of those 220 or so, 191 of those are individuals or families, right? So that's all over the world that we're sending uh, around $100 to to each one of those people, right? So what I want you to calculate is, all right, so put $50,000 in your phone, okay, 50000 Okay, now we're just going this because it's a nice round number, all right? So I'm just, if we're pretending that you're about to go on mission with God and you're going to go over to, y'all want to go to Africa today? All right, we're going to go to Africa. We're just going to pretend like that your total annual needs are going to be $50,000. Okay, that means how much you're going to have to live on. That means how much you're going to have to have to build a church, to pay for the building to be built, and all your expenses that the church is going to uh, have in an annual in that one year, all right? So, again, it, depending on what location you are all over the world, this number is going to fluctuate quite a bit, okay? So we're just going with this number, 50000 right? So the missionaries that I've talked to, the average missionary gets $50 from a church, okay? So $50 annually, if you get $50 a month from a church, how much does that equal per year? Yeah, you didn't need your calculator for that, right? All right, so we're going to divide 50,000 by 600. Okay, what number did you get? 
83.3.333, right? Okay. What does that number mean then? That means if a missionary is going to have to raise $50,000, which is probably a low number, okay, really low number, okay, probably double that in most places. So on this low number of $50,000, what does this 83.3333 represent? The, the, the partners they have to have, okay, if the average is $50 a month. Then I also ask a missionary, all right, so you travel all over the United States and you're presenting what you feel like God is having you do and we're going to Africa, right? How many of those churches that you're in actually say, yes, we will partner with you and we'll give you money every month? About half. All right, so how many churches are they going to have to go into in order to get the 83 at $50 a month to get to $50,000 a year, which we have already figured is probably a really low amount. 166, all right? You probably didn't need to hit times two, but you could hit times two, right? 166, 0.6666, and luckily there's a seven at the end of that, right? So that is what our missionaries have to deal with. Do I need this? hundred and sixty six churches that they're going to have to travel over all over the United States that's based on that they actually get one out of every two churches to support them that they get fifty dollars and that they only need fifty thousand so how does our church we, we support as I said 220 191 families how, where does that money come from Okay, how, do, how do we have the money to give out to missionaries? And this is what may be new to some of you, is what's called faith, promise, giving. And uh, about six or eight weeks ago, Pansy Weesey brought me a bulletin uh, from, I, my mind just went blank, 1961, I believe it was from. From Hallmark Baptist Church, 1961 bulletin. So I made a copy of it, have it in my office. And what was special about this Sunday in this bulletin was, in the bulletin was, this was the week, the Sunday prior to the first Faith Promise Missions Conference that Hallmark Baptist Church ever had. Okay, it was new in 1961. And it shows in, in that bulletin, it shows all the people that, that that week of, you know, for lack of maybe better understanding, is revival regarding missions. Bob you spoke that week. And it had all these lists, about 15 people who surrendered their life to go to the mission field or to be a preacher or to do whatever God wanted them to do. It's really cool. But it kind of gave the numbers. So Faith Promise. Many people in our church, and I'm just going to ask, how many of you give to Faith Promise missions? Just put your hand up. Okay, Faith Promise, just put your hand up. All right, so those of you that you don't have your hand up, you just kind of look around. That's a pretty good percentage. So what that is, is those people that have raised their hand, that above the tie that they give... They give to the line item missions. If you, if you see it on the offering envelope or if you go online and give, missions. Right? So that money that they give above their tithe goes into the missions fund, which we have money to support these missionaries. All right? So we can't support more missionaries unless we have those who have raised their hand give more money. Or those of you who didn't raise your hand, start raising your hand. Right? And so I just want to, maybe you don't know. That's, that's how our missions fund. And then also above that, 
if you give your tithe, just in the general offering, Hallmark gives 15% of whatever comes in the offering, general offering, goes straight into our missions budget. All right, so if you were here at the business meeting this last year, uh, Matt gave us the statistic that one out of every $3 given through the offering last year went straight to missions. Praise God for that. Praise God for his, uh, his constant provision. And so if you kind of are like new to this faith promise thing and you saw somebody raise their hand that you know, go ask them. Because I promise some of these that raised their hand, they've been giving to Faith Promise Mission since 1961. And, and here's what I'm, I'm going to give their testimony for them real quick, okay? If you saw them raise their hand, go ask them, and, and this is what they're going to tell you. They don't regret it. They don't regret giving to missions. So I want to challenge you, in the next few weeks, come to Sunday School, hear from some of these missionaries and church planters, some of the men in our church who've, who've got, gone above and beyond and gotten really involved in missions, and then pray the next few weeks, God, do you want me to be a part of Faith Promise Missions? Do you want me to give above my tithe so that we can support more missionaries and send them where God has called them to go? All right, so that was my commercial for Faith Promise. All right now, get your bulletin out, get your Bibles out, turn to Jonah, all right? Turn to Jonah chapter number two, and as Dave mentioned, we're going to be talking about Jonah sinking. Now, I'm not sure if I can prove this, but my theory is, well, first let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you think about Jonah, so we read in the story last week, we got up to verse 16, when we went ahead and read verse 17 in chapter 1, but in verse 16, remember in in verse 16, they decided that they were going to throw Jonah overboard, right? Right? And so when they went to throw Jonah overboard, what immediately happened to the storm when Jonah hits the water? The storm stopped, didn't it? Now, how many of your mind, you just automatically think, because it says, it really quickly goes in, uh, well, let's look at it, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17. Let's read verse 16. The, uh, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a great sacrifice for the Lord, and they took vows. All right, so let's go back to verse 15, sorry. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, and they threw him into the sea, and the, ceased, the sea ceased from its raging. Immediately, the storm stops. When we looked at this last week, who's in control of the storm? God is, right? And so immediately... And I, you know, just, I, I'm a weird kind of guy. I like to think weird things. I wonder if when, like, he left the boat as he's in the air, did the storm stop? Or did it wait till he hit the water and the storm stops? Does it make any difference? I mean, maybe to Jonah it did. I don't know. But how many of you picture Jonah as soon as he hits the water? Because look at verse uh, seven, uh, 17. So he's thrown overboard, the storm stops, immediately the men start fearing God, they offer sacrifice, take vows, verse 17, now the, the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So how many of you kind of picture, you know, they've thrown Jonah overboard, the, so we're going to picture that the storm has stopped as he's midair, 
And then how many of you picture the fish just coming up and like swooping in and getting him? How many of you could picture that happening? All you fishermen, right? I'm not sure if that's how it happened. I think when you read the description of the, the few verses we're going to look at, I think that the, the fish came later. I think God let Jonah do what? Swim for a while. Because the storm is gone now. And I think he probably swam for a while. But w- eventually what is happening to Jonah? Now, I remember, I, I still picture things in my head from a kid. How many of you remember as a kid the flannel graph with Jonah like sitting in the belly of the well with the candlelight? Like, oh, it's so awesome in here. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that's how it happened. I mean, it, it could have. If he lived in the belly of the well for three, I mean, it could have, it could have happened, right? Verse 1, chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and said. So I think it, it seems weird to me as you kind of read through this, and I, I ask you this question on Facebook Friday if you, if you watch the video, like did, did Jonah, was his prayer from in the fish, was it in the water? And I, it's interesting, the more I read this, these next few verses, because it specifically says here uh, in verse 1, he was in the fish, right? But it seems like if you read through this, that there's kind of this, um, how many of you talk to yourself? Wow. I think, I, I, put your hand up. How many talk to yourself? Okay, I think most of us talk to ourselves at least in our head, right? But how many of you, your mouth moves when you talk to yourself? Okay. I, have, I could say something, but I'm not going to. How many of you answer yourself out loud, all right? So it kind of seems like to me that in this, in this, it's kind of going back from Jonah praying in the fish to also remembering what it was like not to be in the fish. Like, I think we get his prayer from inside the fish, and I think we also get his prayer as he's sinking and dying. And he's describing it. So, so let's read. Start in verse 1 again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He answered me. So I think he's describing here what it was like in the water. I cried out in my affliction. And he answered me. Immediately, 1 John comes to my mind. When we confess, God's willing to forgive. I think of what, what Tyler read there in Psalms 43. Wherever, there's Tyler in Psalms 43. Aren't you thankful that it, no matter what's, what the storm is, that when you cry out to God, he hears? Is there anyone else that could hear Jonah as he's sinking in the sea? Is there anyone else that could have saved Jonah as he's sinking in the sea? So he cries out in his affliction. And he answered me. Now, we've looked at the heart of God, right? That God is sovereign and that he's merciful and that he's missional and that he's just. And, and God is a God who saves. And, and if you're taking notes in your outline, you can write here on the top. It says, God saves and God sends. 
God saves and God sends, and God converts and God commissions. But when we think about this, God saves and God sends, God converts and God commissions, that it's not based on who we are. It's not based on how good we are. When Jonah cried out to God in his affliction and God heard him, did Jonah answer, did he deserve in any way, shape, or form for God to hear his prayer? Did he deserve in any way, shape, or form for God to rescue him? Yes or no? No. Because we, we looked at it, right? God's heart was to save people. God's heart was to send Jonah so that they could know that there is salvation in the Lord. And what did Jonah do? He went down to Joppa, got on a boat, and he went west when God told him to go east. Remember what we said? He was running from the call and the voice and the presence of God. He cries out to the Lord in his affliction. And the Lord hears him. He answered him. Out of the belly of Sheol, meaning death. Jonah's describing here not the belly of the well. He was dying. Death was all around him. He had no hope. And out of my desperation, and in my hopeless situation, I cried out to God. What does it say? God, you heard my voice. Aren't you glad that God hears your voice? Aren't you glad that in your moment of desperation, when you were in that hopeless situation, God hears you? And just like Jonah, Jonah doesn't deserve that God hears him. What does, what does Jonah really deserve? To just die at the bottom of the sea. Remember, he, he was running from God because he didn't want the people over there, the Assyrians, those who live in Nineveh, the ones that wanted to destroy them. He didn't want them to know that what? It says in Jonah 4 and verse number 2, he didn't want these people to know that God is merciful and that God is long-suffering and kind and that God would redeem them and that God would forgive them. And Jonah thought, I deserve it because I'm a Jew. They don't deserve it because they're not. That's, that's the heart of Jonah. But even in spite of the fact that he was running from the voice and the call and the presence of God, when he was in desperation, who does he cry out to? God. Verse 3. For he cast me in the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple, the water surrounding me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. You get the description here of death? The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the mornings or the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. He's describing a pretty hopeless situation, isn't he? He's describing a desperate situation. Yet, you see the next word there? Look at verse 6 again. I went down to the mornings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. I'm going to die. Yet, you have brought me, brought up my life 
from the, from the pit. O oh, Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is the Lord. I would encourage you to underline that, that, that phrase. Salvation is of the Lord. You see, the, the point of the book of Jonah is not to necessarily teach us about Jonah. It's not to teach us about this fish. It's not to teach us about uh, the Ninevites and that they repented. This is the message of Jonah. This is the message of the book of Jonah, this statement. Salvation is of the Lord. The Lord wants to save you. The Lord sends people to tell us salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on a dry land. So let's walk through this outline real quickly. Number one, Jonah was in a hopeless situation. Jonah was in a hopeless situation. I think it pretty well and pretty uh, clearly defines for us this hopeless situation. Number two, God's dramatic rescue. Number one, Jonah was in a hopeless situation. Number two, God's dramatic rescue. Number three, Jonah gives an inadequate response. Jonah gives an inadequate response. What do I mean? And we're going to talk through this real quickly this morning. But if you, if you really study through Scripture, and, and uh, I was listening to, actually, Josh Smith was talking about this. And he's talking about um, the Psalms of Deliverance. And so we've been going through the book of Psalms on our Wednesday night Bible study. And, and when you study through the Psalms of Deliverance, there's a lot of Psalms of Deliverance. But when people prayed about deliverance, when they were... were, were the prayer was about deliverance, that God delivered them from something that was not caused by their sin. That God just came in and delivered them. It wasn't a result. They weren't in a hopeless situation because of their own sin, but God still rescued them. That the psalm of deliverance is always about just thankfulness and gratitude that God delivered me. But then also, so the psalms of deliverance that were in regards to uh, someone's own sin— the most familiar one would be Psalms chapter 51. That psalm is the psalm of David praying and confessing his sin before God and also thanking God for deliverance because he was unfaithful. In every psalm of deliverance, when someone needed to be delivered because of their own sin, like David, the theme of the psalm was acknowledging their sin, repenting of their sin. And thanking God for his deliverance. What we don't really see in this prayer of Jonah, we don't ever really see him say, I'm sorry. We don't ever really him say, it's my fault. In fact, he says, you cast me into the deep. So it's a great prayer of deliverance, but I'm not sure it's the right prayer. God, save me, but it's never God, forgive me. 
the last blank in our outline, it talks about this. It says, Jonah doesn't understand how God wants to offer salvation to all. Look at the very top of your outline this morning. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, Jonah knew the heart of God. Jonah had experienced the forgiveness of God. Jonah had enjoyed the presence of God. But Jonah didn't think anyone else deserved it. So let's think a little bit about who God has called Jonah to go be a witness to. We all know he was called to Nineveh, right? What we may not know is that Nineveh was the headquarters of the Assyrian army. The Assyrian army is the one who's trying to destroy the nation of Israel. So the very people that are trying to destroy Jonah and his family are the ones that God is saying, go be a witness to them. Now, I want you to think in your own mind, who, who would most or best represent our Nineveh? If God were to call us to go to those who were trying to destroy us, who don't believe in our God, who want to kill us because we've placed our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, now maybe it seems a little more reasonable that Jonah doesn't want to go. You want me to tell those people that if they'll repent, you'll forgive them and you'll heal them? Can you identify with Jonah a little more now? And I wonder how easy it is for us and, and for many years for me to look at the story of Jonah and say, wow, Jonah, you're a terrible guy. But the more I look at Jonah, the more I see myself. And today in our reading, there, this is going beyond just the fact that God's called us to tell everyone, Who, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. The truth is that God, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, God has commissioned you to tell people about him. It's your responsibility. When we think about Jonah in this hopeless situation, have you ever been in a hopeless situation? How many of you have ever been in a hopeless situation? Put your hand up. All right? A lot of us. How many have ever felt desperate? You ever felt desperate? Every one of us in this room can identify with Jonah. The, the song we sang today, Love Lifted Me, I was sinking deep in what? Sin. But who rescued me? See, in the life of Jonah, he sent a fish. For us, he sent his son. 
you were in a hopeless situation. None of us deserve God's grace, do we? The Bible teaches us that whoever calls him Lord shall be saved. But why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? A hopeless situation because you're sinking deep in sin. And what do you need? The love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can be rescued. In order for there to be a dramatic rescue, number two here, you have to first be what? In a hopeless situation. At the age of 17, I was in a hopeless situation. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, a senior pastor, when I was 11 months old, and that's all I ever knew. That really doesn't mean a lot before God. And at the age of 17, I realized that if I were to die and stand before God, he's not going to ask me, was your dad a preacher? He's not going to ask me, were you a member of a church? He's not going to ask me what denomination that church was. He's not going to ask me if I tithed or gave to missions. All those things are great, but it's not the most important thing, is it? I realized at the age of 17, what he's going to ask me is, did you ever surrender your life to Jesus Christ? I sent my son to rescue you. Did you ever cry out to him? We, we can point at Jonah and I think, yeah, Jonah, I'm not sure he really repented. I'm not really sure that he even said I'm sorry. But I do know this, that Jonah realized that in his hopeless, desperate situation, if he called out to God, God would rescue him. And I do know this this morning, that if you are in a hopeless, desperate situation and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that if you call out to God, he will rescue you. At the age of 17, I finally said, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And love lifted me. This morning for you, have you ever done that? Again, the question is not, what church do you go to? Are you a member of a church? The question is very simple. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Yes or no? But I'll tell you what hit me a lot this, this week was this thought of, of Jonah's prayer. In fact, I don't do it enough, and, and we've kind of, as a staff, we went this week and we listened to a guy preaching on prayer, and it just challenged me. How many of you um, feel like your prayer life could be better? Okay, wow, put your hand up. My hand up as well, most of us. And I've been wrestling this for a few weeks, and, and so um, Friday I came up here and, and I just decided I was going to walk through the auditorium. And so I walked through every, every aisle of every pew, just praying. Because the truth is, if one of my major weaknesses in my, my Christian life is that I'm not very good at praying. Okay? And by your hands, a lot of you are the same way. I'm just not very good at it. And sometimes I'm just like, well, God, you're going to have your will, and I agree with your will, so that's it. Your will be done. 
But so I, and I'm not saying this to brag on me. Trust me, I'm not the example of a person who prays. So Friday, I'm walking through here, and I'm walking through every pew, and I'm just praying. Nobody's here. I'm just kind of talking out loud to the Lord. And this is what, what he struck me with. When Jonah was in a desperate situation, what was his natural instinct? To cry out to God. Now, when you're in a desperate situation, what I'm guessing, if because you're here this morning and, and you have some form of church background, you know what I'm guessing your natural response is when you're in a desperate situation? Just to cry out to God. Isn't it amazing how great we are at praying when we need something? How many of you can identify with that? I have a good friend that I went to college with. And uh, the truth is, I've seen him only a few times since college. We kind of keep up with him on Facebook. He's a pastor in Michigan. Last week, some of you guys saw it on Facebook, but last week uh, he was um, on the East Coast visiting his family. His mom and dad were having their 50th anniversary. As he's gone, last Saturday, uh, his church back in Michigan burned. So he drove back all night Saturday night to be back at his church Sunday morning. They met in a high school. And you know what I thought about? I thought I bet that was one of the, the most amazing services that that church have ever experienced. Because there was desperation. And they cried out to God. I mean, can you think about that? In your, in, in your desperation, you've cried out to God and, and, and how great God is that when we're desperate, he's never late, is he? Like, he's not always on my schedule. He's on his schedule. I get that. But he's always on time, isn't he? And so this is the thought as I'm walking through the pews and I'm thinking about Jonah and I'm thinking about what we've heard this week in prayer. And I think, is it possible for me and so I want you to wrestle with this now because I'm dumping this on you. Is it possible for me to be desperate for God even though I'm not desperate? Think about that. Is it possible for me to have that same passion, that same desire, even when life's good? Maybe that's why the church today in America is, is, doesn't have the power of God. Because we're not desperate for him, are we? I mean, life's pretty good. We're, I was talking to somebody in the stadium this morning. We're, we're blessed. Is it possible that we love the blessings of God more than we love God himself? Could I be desperate for God even when I'm not desperate. What, what, if, what if that was true for me? What if, what if I was desperate for God in spite of my circumstances? What if I didn't need tragedy to really cry out to God? What, what if this church was filled with people who were desperate for God even though they weren't desperate? 
it made me think of, we read this a few weeks ago in our foundations, our F260 plan, when Moses in Exodus chapter number 33, if you want to turn there again, Exodus 33, verse 13. Exodus 33, 13, and, and Moses is just kind of wrestling with God. God is, is calling them the promised land. And you know the story back and forth with the nation of Israel. You know, they're like desperate for God, not desperate for God, desperate for God, not desperate for God. In, in their story, when did they always become desperate for God? when they were in bondage and life was terrible, right? And so we have this long pattern of the nation of Israel, desperate for God only when life is bad. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 13, Moses has this conversation with God, and he basically tells God, God, well, let's just read it. It's on the screen here. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you. And I'm afraid in my life, my prayers are more about what I want from God than that I actually want God. And you see, Moses, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Verse 14, God answers Moses. He said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. What did Jonah need when he was sinking deep in sin? The presence of God. What was Jonah running from? The presence of God. When Jonah got what he wanted, he realized what he wanted was not really what he wanted. My presence will go with you. Look at verse 15, Exodus 33 here. It says, then he said to him, this is Moses responding to God. If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Is that your prayer? Are we so much like Jonah that we do our own thing? Yes, God, I know you love me. God, I'm thankful for your love. You sent someone to tell me, but I'm not going to tell anyone else. I'm going to do my own thing. And then when we're desperate, oh, God, I need you. It's not so much that we need him. It's just we want him to rescue us, don't we? Jonah said, when in my affliction, God heard me. Moses said here on the screen, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us from here. Do you want the presence of God in your life? Yes or no? Do you want the presence of God in your life? Do you want to be desperate for God even though you're not desperate? Who's, who can control that? You. You. The truth is, I'm right now, I'm as close to God as I choose to be. And that scares me. The truth is, you're as close to God as you choose to be. This morning, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you right now that God sent his son to die in your place so that you could have a relationship with God, your creator, and you can have that today. For the rest of us in here this morning, I want you to wrestle with this. 
Could I be desperate for God even though I'm not desperate? Close your eyes with me this morning. I want to ask real quickly this morning as we prepare to to worship and to close out the service and worship, who would say this morning, John, God has revealed to me today that I need to give my life to Jesus, that I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, would would you put your hand up? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call out your name. I just want to pray for you. Anybody like that, just put your hand up. Leave it up for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else, just put your hand up for a moment. So look around the auditorium. Just put your hand up. I want to pray for you. Anyone else like that this morning? Thank you. Anyone else? Here's what I want you to do right now. I want you just to cry out to God, call out to him. God, I place my faith in Jesus. I believe there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. I repent. I surrender. I want Jesus. Right now, right where you're at, Right now, for the rest of us this morning, how many would say, John, I want to be desperate for God. Would you put your hand up? Just put your hand up. I want to be desperate for God. A lot of us. You can put your hands down. In a a moment when we stand, I want to challenge you today. if If you truly want to be desperate for God, just as a sign to him and to the rest of this church, would you come forward this morning and pray? And just say, God, in spite of how good you are to me, I want to know you more. I want your presence in my life. God, I want to be on mission with you. Before I pray, I want to ask one one final question. This morning, in the, in the last minute or two, maybe you took the opportunity to give your life to Jesus, to place your faith in him. If you did that this morning, would you just put your hand up for a moment? Just put your hand up. If that was you this morning, thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ, in a moment we're going to stand and we're going to begin singing a a song of worship. There's going to be people standing here at the front and they're going to be facing you as the audience. And if you want to give your life to Christ or if you just need to pray with someone, I want to ask you this morning in a moment we stand just to come down, shake their hand and say, will you pray with me? This morning, if you just want to be desperate for God, I'm going to challenge you in a moment to come forward and seek him. God, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the story of Jonah, Lord, and the challenge this morning that we would be desperate for you. Lord, help us as individuals. Lord, help us as a church. God, what could you do with this church and this community if we were just desperate for your presence? Lord, because with your presence comes your power. God, we want to seek you. 
Would you stand with me this morning as we worship? If God's spoken to you, I'm going to challenge you to come forward this morning as we